Welcome to the Speak the Language podcast presented by On X Hunt. This is our second episode back after returning last week. Brad is not here this week. It's just Jordan and myself. Before we get too far into the episode, I wanted to say big, big thank you to everyone that listened to our first episode back. Quite honestly, I think I can speak for everyone that we didn't expect the reception. I mean, I don't know. I thought people would listen, but I didn't think it would be is received as quickly as it was it was very encouraging the amount of people that listened and and all that good stuff and so i say again we are happy to be back we're happy to be doing weekly episodes and um before we get too far into the podcast one thing i should have mentioned it last week but i didn't if you have time it always helps it helps the show especially with us coming back out if you have time to leave a rating on apple podcast or spotify um, anywhere you listen to your podcast, but those two are consistently the two biggest ones that people go to listen to these things. If you have time to leave us a rating, that always helps. If you have time to write a review, um, you can't do that on Spotify, but you can do it on Apple. If you have time to leave a review, that does huge things for us. So please do that if you have the time. And again, thank you so very much for listening. The only other thing of housekeeping items is I made the announcement on the first show that we were releasing episodes on Tuesday which is when this one will come out. It will come out on a Tuesday. But going forward, when it changes again, they're going to be Wednesday episodes. Okay. So little change up on you. But I figured it was only two episodes deep. If it's going to make a change, we can do it. Okay. So after this episode, like I said, this one's going to be on Tuesday. I'll, uh, let, I'll let my mom and dad know. They should, yeah. They yeah. should know. <laughs> but I figured we made the decision to switch it to um, Wednesday episodes. I was like, well... I just said they're coming out on Tuesday, so we'll Tuesday this one, and then going forward Wednesday is when they will come out from here on out. Um, Speak the Language podcast presented by Onyx Hunt. We are going to dive into a couple different subjects. First and foremost, to cover, I guess, just some like current events of like what's going on in the hunting world, the fishing world, the outdoor recreational world in our own backyard in the southeast, and I don't know... We've done kind of this before, but never on a more like a real organized platform, so to speak, or a more um, organized topic, I guess. And I don't know how far we're going to stretch this for this first week of doing it. I figured we would just keep it to real nearby because it's what we know most about. Yeah. Wouldn't you say? So. um, First off, alligator season. Alligator season. Is that really what you got? I have it on there. (laughs) Yeah. No, I mean, that's, I mean, that's become a big deal i mean if i'm being completely honest um people think i'm crazy when i tell them this and i might be the personally the alligator the alligator season bug never really bit me i was never i've I've been on a few of those hunts i was never all that crazy about it but it's become wildly popular here for sure i've you know guided on a couple of them back in my my young buck days and that kind of thing and been on a few here and there recreationally and uh, I think my thing with it is, is I like to sleep too much. Yeah. I like to be in bed yeah. at night, and that's the one hang up. I think I would enjoy alligator hunting, but I get so dang tired about yeah. 11, 12 o'clock, and call me a pansy or whatever you want to call me. But that's just what happens on my experiences. Not that I did not enjoy it. I very much enjoyed going and doing, but it was not like oh, the whole night thing with me about 
two or three or four o'clock in the morning i was like oh, I'm freaking yeah. bed. i've been the first time that i was involved on an alligator hunt a buddy of mine um buddy of mine jimmy um i think it, if i remember correctly it was him and a girl he was dating at the time and this has been so long ago i don't even remember i know i didn't have the tag i was just a ride along you know mm-hmm. um but I, I went there, went with them, and then what's the rules you have to kill? You, you get had, one gator under... Under six at, feet or something like under that? Under seven, eight or seven foot, something yeah. like that. And like, then you get your big one. Yeah, over that. Yeah. You get two, and you draw a tag, you get two alligators, yeah. I think how it works, and one over, one under. Yeah. It's like a slot. And the the night that we went out, we got the smaller one, and we were out till like... 2 a.m i mean and the the act of actually getting the gator was pretty cool i mean it's not like i didn't enjoy it but it's kind of the same boat you were in by the time that we got the gator in the boat went back loaded the boat up i did everything that we had to do i got home at like 4 a.m yeah and i was and then it wasn't but two years ago i went with uh hunter ferrier and austin seals and a couple of their buddies and I think Hunter had the tag, and we didn't we didn't get anything the night I went. And they the original plan was like they weren't going to be out all night, but we left. I remember we when we left the boat dock, it was still it was getting dark, and when we got back in the truck, it, the sun was rising, and I was just spent. I just and I I, I was that's the last time I've been gator hunting. Yep. I just didn't do anything for me i think they went out that next evening and caught one and they were like you want to come again i was like no i'm good i'm gonna sleep they're a really cool creature though like oh they're they're very very interesting to me like i'm nothing against like no, i hope nobody no, takes that word against no, alligator no, no, hunting. No, 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 like no 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 i have no problem i've been on several hunts a couple of successful hunts and enjoy the social aspect of it but yeah. i'm just too big of a pansy to stay up all night yeah I, that's not where i was getting at at all um but yeah i mean it's like i said we're obviously in a minority there because it's become wildly popular <laughs> ever since they opened that season and you know louisiana of course has had an alligator season forever for and years mississippi now i mean it's becoming over a decade mm-hmm. i think it's probably closing in on 15 years since they've had yeah. an alligator season here and, the, and when the, i remember when they first opened it i mean and it, it's still limited but the first time they did it it was like way limited right and i, I really uh i don't know if they realized how good our alligator population here is in mississippi there's there's a lot of alligators here oh yeah dudes troll around the ross barnett reservoir yeah i mean see, in the see. mississippi river backwaters i mean there's alligators just about everywhere you know far as in backwater creeks where they have everything they need to survive mm-hmm. and uh alabama's got alligator season too mm-hmm. so does georgia and yeah. of course florida so pretty much every state in the southeast i think other than maybe tennessee has uh yeah, alligator I season i don't think tennessee they has. might i don't know but not that i know of. not that i'm aware of yeah but uh i mean you're talking about six or eight states down here that i mean this is kind of a, a opening deal to the fall yeah you know we always say dove season is but it's kind of becoming more alligators the opening for some people now yeah. i know they'd rather go try to catch a gator than shoot a dove but yeah. luckily in mississippi you can do both then of course there's florida i mean obviously florida's had yeah i mean florida and louisiana yeah. have had you know alligator in their bloodline forever forever 
Um, speaking on, here's a segue since we were already talking about water critters, talking about something that's, I would say, I mean, this is definitely Mississippi specific, but I didn't know how publicized this event had gotten until um, some of my coworkers at OnX were messaging me all the way from Montana asking if my house was underwater. Because they, apparently all the rain and the flooding had made it on national news. National yeah. news. So on, I've had several messages this week, people checking on me, and I'm like, well, I ain't really noticed no difference. But I yeah. do realize, like, just 20 minutes from here, there's a lot of stuff underwater. On Monday, the Pearl River crested at 35.37 feet, and that is seven feet above flood stage. If you have seen, have you driven down Spillway Road? No. So to kind of lay this out for y'all, for folks that, even if you do live in Mississippi, you might not live in the area where you're around the Ross Barnett Reservoir. But the the Spillway Road is a pretty well-known road around um, this area, so to speak. And it's where the Ross Barnett Reservoir spill, Spillway pours back in. And because of all, I mean, it rained nonstop for like six days. I don't know. Yeah. A lo- long time. Um, I and- know in the month of August at my house it was like i think up until saturday which was the what 27th yeah it had rained like 23 days Mm -hmm. out of the 27 and uh so i mean people driving down i mean the spillway is a very like a highly trafficked road people use it for public transit for coming to and from work i mean it is cars on it all the time um and and if you it's starting to go back down now but to drive down that road at the peak of that river when the water was up, seeing that spillway, and they had to close because also the spillway is a pretty popular fishing spot. You know, mm-hmm. they had, you can they have those parking lots on both sides. People are always down there, usually um, trying to catch catfish or whatever. Um, but they had all those roads gated off because the water had gotten so high it was into the parking lots on both sides. At one point, you couldn't see anything but the rocks sticking out above yeah. the very top. I've seen it like that once or twice in my life. That, it's yeah. pretty crazy. That's what I was saying. It's, it's the, that's the first time I've seen it like that since I think I was like a child. Man, water is a, a force. You know, we dealt with it on the river so much. I think we became a little bit more used to it. Yeah. And But it's a force like none other like it can cause so much destruction in such a short period of time it was wild to see because it did it reminded me it, it did bring back some some memories from the cottonmouth high river days but it's just a it's a reminder that you know forces like that water they they're so powerful like water doesn't seem powerful until it is yeah you know and uh it was wild to see water up and you're seeing like wading and shorebirds hanging out in spots where it's normally just properly manicured grass and it was pretty wild and it's affected the city of jackson which is the capital city of mississippi which the pearl river runs it uh, runs pretty much right through the not through the middle of the town but but it it runs through it yeah Yeah. i couldn't remember if it but anyhow a lot of old developed subdivisions are like in the floodplain of the pearl river over there like the east over area Mm -hmm. i mean that's water in there right now yeah there's water in there and it's affected the city's water supply yeah um when that's a rabbit hole we don't want to chase no, like no, it no, is no, no, it's no. a disaster but <laughs> but it's just i'm bringing it back to like just the forces of nature sometimes yeah or something to be seen moving on from that uh we spoke briefly last week about the upcoming 2022 velvet season in mississippi which is the 
first time that's ever happening yeah um house bill 1035 they passed a velvet season september 16th through 18th which is upcoming today is september the first that we're recording this yep private lands only the permits only ten dollars and next episode which will be right before the velvet season uh, we're going to have the deer program coordinator of mississippi department of wildlife fisheries and parks william mckinley is going to come and he's going to talk about velvet deer he's going to talk about cwd he's going to talk about all kinds of fun stuff mm -hmm. so that's an episode that i'm very much looking forward to and we actually had some folks reach out to us because um if you remember last week i said i kind of wanted to link up with some guys that are going to be targeting this velvet season and just kind of follow along with them so i haven't I, I haven't like picked those set guys out yet but i've had some folks reach out that said they were planning on going to and some of them sent some trail cam pictures i was like well if you get that one you'll you'll be doing pretty good <laughs> you'll be, be recognized yeah um i mean and going back we were talking you know about other states with alligator seasons i wonder which i'm sure um mr mckinley may be able to highlight this for us but like tennessee has done so well with their early velvet season mm -hmm. i wonder if some Theirs of that was like last weekend yeah yeah i guess early and there's been some folks killing some very large deer yeah very large deer it's pretty pretty impressive to say the least um i do like the fact that it's just like a three-day deal because i mean we've always said it for years like if you could hunt these bucks before they change up like it's a little it's honestly a little easier and um, just because they're more patternable i mean you still got to beat their eyes and nose but at the same time they're on a very good yeah. pattern most of the time i mean you got the some of the deer never are predictable at all but right. a lot more so are predictable that time of year than they are in october november all i could think about man is if which you know obviously we hadn't been in cottonmouth forever but i'm like man if they'd have had that season when we were still at cottonmouth <laughs> well <laughs> arkansas know? actually opens up in september and we just never did hunt it because we were always going elk hunting it all, it opens up like the third weekend of september that is true yeah, i been, didn't think about been, that we just never did do it because we were elk hunting yeah that is true i guess i just hadn't i've never thought about i've never thought about a velvet buck as being something that was you know attainable for me because we've never had it here in right. mississippi and that's how i think but you are right i forgot about that mm -hmm. it always opened up on around the, the 20 something of september it would be arkansas because i remember um will walker would sometimes go try to hunt that weekend of opening well he i mean yeah i think he killed a big one not it was prior to that but now that you say that i think he killed a big one in arkansas and velvet because of that season one year yeah i think he had one mounted in the house that's I? it yeah. yeah that's it um moving on a different subject keeping it kind of on deer i thought this one was um this one might raise some hairs but we'll see this was uh i got this off of the alabama wildlife federation uh they have this thing that they do they call it management monday and they kind of like you know the wild turkey doc has turkey tuesday mm -hmm. the alabama wildlife federation has management monday i'm just going to read it directly off their post seeing empty deer corn and deer feed bags strewn across alabama's rural roads during deer season is predictable as the sun rising seeing this reminds me of aldo leopold's eloquently written book a sand county almanac wild widely acknowledged as the father of wildlife conservation leopold writes a peculiar virtue in wildlife ethics is that hunters ordinarily has no gallery to applaud or disapprove of his conduct 
Whatever his acts, they are dictated by his own conscience, rather than a mob of onlookers. Voluntary adherence to an ethical code elevates the self-respect of the sportsman, but it should not be forgotten that voluntarily disregard of the code degenerates and depraves him. Um, and that is a quote from Claude Jenkins of the At Alabama Wildlife Federation. This isn't as fun of a subject, but it is worth one talk. It is one worth talking about. Mm -hmm. Like everyone, it really, it really has. Like this isn't me taking a stance against baiting or any of that, but I will take a stance against the amount of deer feed or deer corn bags I see on the side of the road. Starting, it's, it's not just the deer corn and deer feed bags. It's seed bags, fertilizer bags, all of it. That's so. Uh, Look, I've been guilty of this, too. You throw the stuff in the back of your truck, don't even think about it, and going down there, you don't even know they're blowing out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I, I'm, I'm not saying, I'm not, yeah, I'm sure I have done it. If I've done it, it hasn't been uh, on purpose. It's been negligence. Yeah, I mean, I think about, like, when we would be planting cottonmouth or kudzu, and then you're in a hurry, you just throw those seed bags, fertilizer bags in the back of the truck or the buggy, and then you go and you forget about them. Mm -hmm. Then I'm, I'd be following, or somebody would be following us or where, whatever on the tractor behind us, like picking up bags. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, yeah. it definitely happens, but it's definitely something to be conscious of because, I mean, we want to keep everything clean. Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's more along the lines of, uh, for me, it's like for, there's two things that I would, for the most part, I I strongly agree with this man's statement from the Alabama Wildlife Federation. Two things I would change is he says during deer season. I disagree with that a little bit because you can see that right now yeah. leading up to deer season. People are, especially, I don't know, I mean, I imagine with the, with the velvet season upcoming as well, but I know folks, they're putting out feed for their cameras right now. And oh, so, yeah. I mean, I'm seeing corn bags and rice bran on the side of the road right now. So there's that. And the other thing I would change is, so he's talking about Leupold's quote, which Aldo Leupold is a very quotable man, but he talks about, he has a quote in there about like commonly a, uh, what is it? Whatever his acts are, they are dictated by his own conscience rather than, rather than by a mob of onlookers. I get what he's saying. Um, he's saying that most often a hunter's in the woods by himself. So who's going to see what he does? Mm -hmm. The only thing that's changed about that is now with the days of like social media and the amount of people that have a camera in their hand at all times, some of these things are a lot more detectable than they used to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. So that is the, the one stance I would walk away from this from is like, this is something that we can a hundred percent do better at. If you're going to bait, you know, like take the bags and put them in, your back seat or something don't just let them fly or the best way to handle bags is uh if you've got five or six of them roll every all of them up but one yeah and stuff them and all then in one stuff bag. them all in one then it's weighted and you don't have to worry about it mm -hmm. it takes you know 30 45 seconds longer than just jumping in the truck and going but then you don't have to worry about them blowing out mm -hmm. so easy fix there yeah, but just to be conscious of it, because just like anything, your uh, reputation's on perception, not facts. So, yeah. Um, moving on to a different subject, which when this comes out, it will be right after the big opening dove weekend, which all of us look forward to, except for you, because you're going to the beach. Yep. Um, I'm going fishing. You're going fishing. That's a little bit better. 
the only thing I would say, because uh, mo- like I said, most of this for a lot of folks is going to be a mute point because they've already done their big dub weekend. But some people have to du- du- shoot the next weekend, and some people are doing early season geese, teal, so on and so forth. Um, you always hear a ton of stories about folks that are like highly underestimating how hot it is outside and then they take their dog Dog, they take their dog that hasn't hunted since last january and they run him into the ground because the dog wants to hunt the dog won't stop until he tips over so if you're out you're hunting doves you're hunting geese you're hunting teal whatever keep an eye on your dog don't let him run yourself ragged bring them water bring them that's one thing uh with delta i went uh walmart and they had these collapsible bowls there for like your kitchen Mm -hmm. and uh which i think they actually make dog bowls like for this but they a little bit cheaper route is going to walmart and they have a collapsible bowl and you bring a gallon of water with you and fill that bowl up while you're sitting there hunting and they can get their water yeah i've done that since delta started hunting there's which now she is fat 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 and i believe like <laughs> she she's gonna have to sit out this year until she gets in shape well um yeah I, i've always brought a bowl with me for Knox. the other thing i started doing um and i picked this up from upland hunting is i'll just go by i'll go by like walmart or target or something and I, you can get like a generic it almost looks like a it's basically like one of those Gatorade bottles you see the football Squirt players bottle. have. Yeah. yeah, you feel is which there is a little like little bit of a learning curve if you do it with your dog when it's a puppy. It doesn't take them. Hard. It's not hard for them to learn at all. But they have to learn how to pretty much drink out of you pouring a bottle. See, Delta will them. not do that. Oh, really? Yeah. See, Knox will. So I'll have a bowl, but I'll also have one of those generic squirt bottles filled with water because we'll be dove hunting. Yeah, Knox will drink right out of the bottle if you let. Yeah, because I started that when he was, you know, a puppy. If you try that with Delta, you think she, she's getting beat. <laughs> like she is not a fan of drinking out of a bottle. <laughs> oh man! So yeah, um, your dogs work very hard. They will work themselves, especially ones that like. I promise you, if I did not have water for Knox and we hunted an afternoon for doves this weekend. I promise you he would just run until he passed out yeah. because he doesn't know how to stop. So I have to make him drink water. So keep an eye on that. Uh, keep your dog safe. Um, the next one, and then we'll get into more straight-up hunting topics. This one is going back to the power of water. This one can be found on the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fishery and Parks website if you look. So this is pretty crazy. Like, I literally was just, like, cruising around looking for – current events to report on and that this this was a article published in late august so just a few weeks ago um thanks to climate change the land that holds the sacred traditions of this is talking about like very 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 south louisiana like coastal louisiana climate change is accelerating land loss across south louisiana the state today is losing about a football field's amount of land every 100 minutes talking about the marsh uh-huh that is wild so every every hour and a half they're losing an acre of land i'm going to read that again uh a football field is pretty much an acre yeah today south louisiana is losing about a football field's amount of land every 100 minutes since 1950 the sea level has risen by 24 inches two feet near grand isle experts predict that 30 years from now sea levels along south louisiana could be around a little over a foot higher so 
I just did the math on that. Uh-huh. Say a football field's an acre. Mm-hmm. Over what 24-hour span, that is 14.4 acres. Lost. Gone. Yeah. Underwater. Is that not crazy? I, like, seriously, like, y'all go in. That's stuff that, like, I didn't even. Did you have any clue that was going on? I did not until I started looking around. Guess how many acres that is in a year? How many? 5,256. Yeah, gone. 5,000 acres gone. And I don't imagine you get that back. No, unless it's artificially put back. Mm-hmm. And then there's some, there. this article also says that there have been some um, communities that live, you know, in some of the lowest of the lowlands. Um, they have lost up to 21,000 acres um, and have been forced to move further inland. So I just did another math project here. <laughs> 10-year span. Mm-hmm. 52,560. Isn't that nuts? That's yeah. wild. So that's one of those things, like, I don't know, this day and age, and I'm guilty of this too, um, the term climate change has been so politicized yeah. that sometimes I hear it and I just go, <laughs> you know. But this is coming from an article that was posted on the Louisiana Department of Wildlife's website, and they're talking about real loss of real land that's affecting their um, their communities. But, the, I mean, this was written about their fishing community because this loss is affecting their fishing, too. Like, oh, how, yeah. yeah. So it's wild. Uh, that is that that, crazy. That is crazy, Isn't yeah. That crazy? I mean, I just doing the math on that, that's, I mean, say 14 acres a day, you're – that's going underwater or getting eroded out mm-hmm. i mean there's a lot of people would give an arm and a leg to own 14 acres exactly that's what i was thinking about i was like think about in like i mean if you around i mean this isn't a straight comparison for sure but like around here if you find land to buy and it's 1200 dollars an acre that's dirt cheap mm-hmm. right so if you no pun intended yeah dirt cheap (laughs) so if you 1200 times 14 that's sixteen thousand dollars sixteen thousand eight hundred dollars if it was twelve hundred dollar an acre land yeah either way you look at it that's that is astounding like when i read i had to read it a couple times back to make sure i was understanding it correctly well you know one thing when we used to fish a lot down there and uh i remember riding through all those bows and you know backwater through the marsh and stuff and you'll see all these huge like cypress stumps and old structures where like it used to be dry land yeah like i'm talking about like miles like 10 15 miles from where you put your boat in the water mm-hmm. that was dry land at one point and somebody drove there yeah. to go to that house mm-hmm. that's what really you, maybe we have a better understanding of this like what's going on because we've been down there and fished all that stuff Mm -hmm. but when you start thinking about that like um where the chandelier island chain is yeah that you used to could almost drive a truck like within a mile or two of those chains Mm -hmm. i mean back a long time ago that was the coastline that's why those islands were formed that was the actual coastline Mm -hmm. and say shell beach where we used to put in the boat at it takes you an hour and 15 20 minutes to drive a boat going 40 miles an hour to get to those islands now mm-hmm. 
that's how much been lost and yeah. like up and like when the the french whatever purchase was made louisiana purchase yeah i mean all that was timberlands and yeah. big cypress breaks and i mean it was water there but it was nothing it wasn't marsh mm -hmm. that's wild it's crazy especially i mean i was so like mind blown reading that i was like i want to dig into this further yeah because especially because again I, but when i hear folks from south louisiana saying climate change i'm more inclined to listen to what they have to say because mm -hmm. we know some of those folks yes you know what i mean so um i don't know that, that's definitely something i want to dive into further because it's it's obviously it's not a good thing but it's very it's it's insanely interesting the it's, question it's, to be asked to me is this like is this a man-made problem or is it just natural what yeah, happens a natural progression who knows i don't know I, that's way beyond you know, my qualification that's that's where my mind goes yeah. like when you start thinking about this is this something we can fix or is it just something that's going to be happening yeah is this one is this something we can fix two is this something that we caused directly yeah that you know i don't know i, I can't even begin to speculate because i would be lying because right. i don't know um going on to all right so that's our our little current event roundup <laughs> for the day i enjoyed it it was it's interesting especially right? the marsh part yeah I mean, it's but, crazy you can so, hang on before i leave this completely let me pull up where these folks can go find this if they want to. They can go read the article themselves. If they go to wlf.louisiana.gov, and then there is a section called In the News, and it is an article by The Gambit, and it's called Fishing for Solutions, The Race to Protect Coastal Louisiana's Culture and Way of Life. It was pu published August 13th, 2022. I mean, I don't... And I, you think I man, I love speckled trout, trout fishing. Mm -hmm. Like you're kind of more redfish, yeah. But I love speckled trout, and you know what happens with losing this lamb going back on a rabbit trail with it, though. But with adding that much fresh water and the erosion and all that's that's going on there, you're putting your good speckled trout fishing farther out because they have to have saltier water to yeah. be able to spawn. Mm -hmm so it affects the fishing greatly on that aspect because mm -hmm. you mean you may have to drive an extra hour in the boat to find the the spawn grounds for the speckled trout during the summer just to get trout yeah it's nuts so that's definitely like i said it's something that i was I, i'm very tempted to pursue that issue further just to dig deeper yeah I, absolutely well i at one i'm gonna see how everyone perceives it if they're as interested by it as we are i would imagine so because again a football field's worth of land every 100 minutes that's astounding mm -hmm. it's crazy um okay moving on moving on we're going to kind of rapid fire this one because we've already been running our mouths for over half an hour this is a section that i like to call because again this was this was wild too like the section the second that episode aired the the inboxes and emails started coming back on like stuff that they want to talk about so this one i guess from rounding up the most similar questions that we got and kind of compiling them into one concise list it was like things this is the way i thought of it it was like things you can do to prevent screwing up your deer season before deer season even gets here because there are ways that you can do that mm -hmm. and granted when i was making this list i wasn't taking into account the upcoming velvet season but still kind of works hand in hand um the first one is 
and this is this was that someone said, "When should I start shooting my bow?" Yesterday. <laughs> I don't. I mean, that's a loaded question there because it it depends on. I mean, it really depends on your skill level. Mm-hmm. Like if you're a novice bow hunter or that, you need to be as getting many reps in as you can. Yeah. I mean, it really uh on the bow stuff like it like you can never practice too much mm-hmm. like it's not even i don't even think that's a thing like doing it too much mm-hmm. but at the same time like if you've been a seasoned bow hunter for a long time and you have actually put in the time to work on your form and dial all those basics in it takes you a lot less time to get back in the groove of things true each year i would be there there are guys that say they shoot every day all throughout the year if you do that applause um i do not no i I maybe should i don't i realistically i started shooting which and i I wasn't thinking about deer season i was thinking about elk season but i started shooting about a month ago um and i wasn't even when i started shooting about a month ago i wasn't like just taking an hour out of the day like i was shooting a dozen times a day yeah you know and it's being like archery is such a like being able to execute the same thing over and over again the same way mm-hmm. like it's muscle memory being mm-hmm. able to be good at shooting a bow consistently and a you know a good good consistent pattern mm-hmm. it doesn't evolve it doesn't revolve around your bow or the arrows or the release you have it revolves around your form mm-hmm. that is the base foundation of being good at it mm-hmm so to me some people have better form than others so they require less practice just being honest about it. i'm talking about like hunting scenarios yeah. mm-hmm. and uh you know when i was a kid that was one i shot a lot of competition archery and um that was what my coach you know hounded in my head is like get your form right doesn't matter what your groups look like doesn't matter how good you can shoot at 60 yards right now work on your form get it right then all the other kind of comes together Mm -hmm. so yeah i may i tell you what i've dealt with this year i've finally gotten a handle on it um when i did start shooting about a month ago i had i've dealt with some target panic issues before Mm -hmm. um and when i say target panic this is the, the first time it happened to me i didn't really know how to explain it but it was like just picture a block target right and it's got like the five black dots on it to shoot and i couldn't explain it i drew my bow back and like the second i was shooting at like say 20 yards the second my top pin hit one that black dot i just yeah. i pulled the heck out of the trigger and i had i've had issues with that before and had to like i'd learn ways to kind of correct it or kind of pull it back in when i started shooting a month ago that is the worst target panic issue i've ever had mm. or the that i can remember like it was it was wild man i, I was like what happened like what did i do because uh at first i just had the target here in the backyard just had a block target and it i i would put that green pin would hit that black dot and it's like i couldn't stop myself <laughs> just boom, you know i just pull it and what i had i remembered um it was a levi morgan article and he would have and this is a tip from levi not me but this is what i do this is what helped me it's what helped me the first time i dealt with it i would have the target out there have an arrow knocked like like i'm gonna shoot 
I would pull my bow back and I wouldn't even have my finger on the trigger. I would just make that pin float inside that dot for 20 seconds and then I would let down. And I seriously had to do that because the like the urge to pull to just pull the trigger was so bad. That's how I had to ring it in. Right. And there's two ways to deal with that fix it. Doing one is that way. Mm -hmm. The second one is like completely take your sight off of your bow. Mm. Like completely take it off. Never done that. And pull back like at a target like at 10 yards yeah. that you're not going to miss. Yeah. Shooting instinctive. And practice on your form. Mm -hmm. And follow through with back tension. And if you don't know what back tension is, that is actually using your bigger muscles to pull the trigger, not your finger. Right. Like you're using your arm, your shoulders, all that pulling together for the trigger to go off. Yeah. And uh, that a lot of times fixes that issue too. But it's going to take repetition because once you create a habit, you got to break the habit in order to yeah. make a difference. And it was crazy, man, because it was like, I mean, that was the first time I'd, you know, broken everything back out and went to shooting. And I was like, where? The first time I shot, I was like, where did that come from? <laughs> I mean, I slapped that trigger. Just you know, know, a lot of people, like, fix that issue, too, because you shoot a caliber, correct? Yeah. And, you know, a lot of people have a better pull with their muscles by shooting some type of t-handle release mm -hmm. like back tension slash thumb yeah triggered release because you're working all your fingers and not just one if you do that correctly mm -hmm. and it usually takes you a little bit longer time to get a shot off if you do that the right way so yeah. it fixes a lot of that target panic by right. knowing you have to take an extra two or three seconds to pull the trigger by doing that yeah i even still like when i go and shoot my bow today the first five six shots i will I, my finger will be on the trigger now i won't like because when i first started you're making doing yourself it, like draw down without firing yeah i literally like just as i mean I've, I've pretty much reined it in but just to keep it there like the first couple shots i if i'm shooting the top left dot i make it float there and i count to 10 before i allow myself to shoot no. just to keep it that also holds you up better for a hunting scenario because especially you know practicing for elk a lot of times you're drawing your bow back 20 30 40 seconds before you're actually going to shoot mm -hmm. and uh because with elk you want to try to draw it as they're moving yeah. to you and not wait till they're like in shooting range to shoot like pull back and shoot because then they look at you and then they bump and then like you definitely can shoot an elk when he's like taking a few bounds and looks back at you that it works for a lot of people but i would way rather shoot with him and him having no clue i'm there yeah would way rather shoot like that i was like last year the one i shot you know I, he was moving towards the collar so fast i had to mew at him to stop and I was already drawn back, pin on him and everything, and a similar situation happened to me. As soon as I mewed, I was ready to pull the trigger. Yeah. And that elk actually took like a half step kind of towards me to look at where that call was coming from. Well, not that he was, um, he was still, say, 90% broadside. Yeah. But it was just enough of a step that he took towards me to only allow me to, I think, hit one long. Yeah and uh which is nuts yeah at considering that. how big they are and the arrow is right behind the shoulder like where, you're supposed, crease, to, where yeah. are you supposed to put it but just that little bit of angle change you know caused it to be a little bit farther back shot than i was expecting yeah i uh shoot the one i shot last year 
I had to draw back to keep from spooking the lead cow that yeah, came in first. Yeah, you stayed at draw for like what? Two, two minutes, minutes and yeah. 14 seconds. We counted it on the footage. Yeah. Two minutes and 14 seconds. Yeah. Elk are a different critter for sure. But and that, you that, know, deer is a lot of that same scenario. It translates too. over to whitetails for uh, sure. Especially like if you're hunting, say, an acorn flat and you're expecting this buck to, you know, show up right there under you eating these white oaks, whatever, and uh, you see him coming, you're not going to wait till he's like under you to draw back if you're just trying to kill him you know yeah yeah and um i mean especially in the early season when the foliage is everywhere and there's so much more things to worry about as far as you, you may know. only have a hole shoot through like big as a i don't know knocks yeah not very big not very big um so yeah archery practice is incredibly keen this time of year um beyond that you know folks are acting about asking about like trail camera stuff and getting pictures of deer on camera um and we'll kind of end on this one the the one thing i would say i mean like trail cameras i mean you can run those however much you want to you can run them i mean you can start taking pictures now the only thing i would guess is like you have guys that are like they're getting this deer on camera all the time and they're like man i'm gonna get him you know which if you're having that velvet season you might but if you're getting these pictures these velvet bucks i wouldn't count on him being in that same spot october 1st if that's what you're waiting on you know what i mean well you know the number one thing i have seen and i have done i mean with trail cameras especially before people were using cell cameras as much cell cameras i mean if you're trying to keep the pressure down the woods they are worth every penny yeah um but the regular sd card cameras that you actually had to go pull a card out and check you know i think a lot of times if you don't run them correctly they do way more harm than good as far as putting pressure in the woods because you'll have a big deer on camera you know the first time you go pull your cards and you're so excited about it especially if it's close to season you want to go check that camera and make sure he's staying on pattern right so if you go in there three or four times in a 10-day period because you're so excited to check that camera you're laying a bunch of scent down that deer is going to more than likely know you're there unless he's coming from a long ways away Mm -hmm. and just i mean you're just disrupting his normal habits and which you know this a lot of folks if you're getting them on camera this time of year they're probably not coming from a very long ways no the nine times out of ten they're going to be close close as they can from their bedroom close close yeah like within maximum and i mean you have some deer that travel so this is not for all of them but i would say within 300 yards if he's in the daylight Mm -hmm. if you're getting pictures of a deer in daylight this time of year he is close not coming that far away close 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 um well i feel like honestly that uh news segment took up way more time than i thought it was going to but i feel like we've covered we've covered the, the main two things like topics to cover was beyond that was archery and trail cameras that's what everybody was asking about Mm -hmm. so um i think we've covered everything for this week again um starting the episode after this they're going to be released on wednesday and the episode after this i am very keenly looking forward to going to have uh the deer program coordinator for mississippi william kenley we're going to talk about velvet deer cwd all all kinds of stuff that people are curious about in terms of deer going on in mississippi today and maybe even beyond that so be sure to tune into that one um as always since again we are back to weekly episodes um if you have questions topics you want covered anything please 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 do not hesitate to send those in 
Um, you can direct message myself on Instagram. You can email the podcast, Primos Hunting Podcast at gmail.com. Um, you can inbox Jordan, whatever in the world you want to do. We're going to keep this lively. We're going to keep it fun. Uh, can't say enough how happy we are to be back. And I think we're good. Jordan, you got anything else? Just be safe out there and have fun. Cool. We'll be back next week. As always, thank you for listening to the Speak the Language podcast.